And uh, we're going to be in the book of 1 Kings this morning. 1 Kings chapter number 18 and verses number 17 through 21 is where we're going to be. Page 412 in the old Schofield Reference Bible. And I hope you're looking forward to the service tonight. I know I am. As far as I know, preacher will be preaching and looking forward to what the Lord has put on his heart tonight. And so I hope you'll pray about it. Be in prayer room if you can, 505 in your respective Sunday school class, and then also 530 for the main services. And so let's just pray to that end that the Lord will meet with us. Well, uh, I heard a story years ago about a preacher, and it was back when they didn't have, you know, uh, nice digital clocks back there like we have and everything. This particular preacher, he didn't have a watch, and so he kind of didn't know what time it was whenever he'd get up to preach. And so what his custom was is what he would do is he would take out a lozenge from his pocket and just stick it inside his mouth, and he kind of told himself, okay, whenever that lozenge or that, that thin cough drop would dissolve and wear out, that was his cue to quit preaching. And so he, it was on a Sunday morning, and he got up, and the church started at 11, and he got up to preach about 11.30 or so, and he, uh, he put that lozenge in his mouth and began to preach, and he was just, you know, shucking the corn and just preaching away and everything, and 12.15 came, and he was still preaching. 12.45 came, and he was still preaching. 1.15 came, and he was just still preaching away, and, you know, just doing the wind suck, and he was just, ah, ah, and preaching away. And 1.45 came, he was still preaching. 2 o'clock came, and he was still preaching. Finally, he thought, man, I'm getting a little tired. So he looked down on the front row, and he happened to see one of his deacons there, and he said, hey, so-and-so, brother, he said, uh, what time is it? And the deacon kind of, you know, rolled his eyes. He says, it's 2 o'clock. And the preacher said, man, I'm sorry. He said, I don't know what happened. So he took out the lozenge that was still in his mouth. He took out the lozenge and he looked at it, had four holes in it, and he realized it was his suit coat button. You know how a lot of times they'll put the spare in there? Well, he put it right in his mouth, and so he kept preaching and preaching. So I assure you, I'm aware of the time. There's no lozenge in my mouth. There's no button in my mouth. We'll, uh, we'll be done at a decent time, and so uh, we won't be like that preacher. But 1 Kings chapter number 18 and verse number 17 is where we're going to be, a very familiar passage of scripture. We won't necessarily touch on the, the main event that happened, but we're going to talk about something that happened right before the victory at Mount Carmel. First Kings chapter 18 and verse number 17, it says, and it came to pass when Ahab saw Elijah, that Ahab said unto him, art thou he that troubleth Israel? And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but thou and thy father's house in that ye have forsaken the commandments of the Lord, and thou hast followed Balaam. Now therefore send and gather to me all Israel unto Mount Carmel, and the prophets of Baal 450, and the prophets of the groves 400, which eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent unto all the children of Israel, and gathered the prophets together unto Mount Carmel. And Elijah came unto all the people and said, How long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people answered him, Not a word. And let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Lord, thank you for your love to us. Thank you for the opportunity 
to be in God's house, Lord. And I pray that you'd help me to, to preach, God. I pray that you'd help me to leave off the things that you would have me leave off, Lord, and say the things that you would have me to say, God. And we want your Holy Spirit here. All is vain unless the Holy Spirit of the Holy One comes down. God, I pray that you'd move up and down these aisles, Lord, across the rows, back and forth, God. And I pray that it wouldn't be about man today, but that you would be high and lift it up. Lord, I pray that we'd go out of these doors wanting to do more for you, God. Thank you for this church. Thank you for our preacher, Lord. Thank you for all that he stands for, God. And I pray that you'd continue to give him strength and grace in these days, Lord. And I pray that we would do all we can to love and to back him in these days. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, this is a very familiar passage of Scripture. If you know anything about the Bible, this is the story where Elijah went to Mount Carmel, and there was the big gathering there, and God rained down fire on the sacrifice. God miraculously did it. He showed himself mighty. He showed himself to be the one true God. Even though Elijah took and he dumped water all over the sacrifice. If you know anything about fire, you know fire does not like to burn where water is. But yet Elijah said, hey, I'm going to throw the water down and I'm going to make sure that God is able to show himself mighty and I'm going to be able to, uh, we're going to see that God can make himself known when there was no other way possible. And God did that. An interesting hap thing happened prior to that event. Uh, Elijah throws out the question in verse number 21. There was a meeting that occurred. And Elijah had this meeting there. It says in verse number 21, And Elijah came unto all the people and said, How long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal then follow him. And we're going to look at three things this morning real quickly about this meeting. Number one, we're going to look at the context of this meeting. You know, if we're going to figure out what happened, we're going to kind of do some research on what happened. And uh, so most historians believe that this particular event happened about 3,000 years ago, so about 1,000 years before Christ. And during this event, the country of Israel was on their 11th king. In Israel, what had happened was Solomon became king, and then Israel ended up becoming a split nation. And so 10 of the countries went to the northern tribe. There was 12 tribes in Israel. 10 tribes went to the north, and that was called the northern tribe, or Israel. Ten, uh, two tribes went to the south, and that was called Judah. And so if you were to liken that to the, the nation of the United States, you would think that about 42 states would go to the north, and eight states would go to the south. And so you had the northern tribe, the northern, and the southern. And so in 1 Kings, we happen to see where it all begins for Israel. Israel begins a downward spiral. They begin a digression as a country. 1 Kings chapter number 12, if you have your Bibles, turn back there real quickly. 1 Kings chapter number 12, the Bible says in verse number 25, it says, then Jeroboam. Jeroboam is the first king after Solomon, after the split. And there actually was seven kings between the split and this event that we're going to look at this morning. So it says in verse 25, Then Jeroboam built Shechem in Mount Ephraim and dwelt therein and went out from thence and built Penuel. And Jeroboam said in his heart, Now shall the kingdom return to the house of David 
verse number 27, if this people go up to do sacrifice in the house of the Lord at Jerusalem, then shall the heart of this people turn again unto their Lord, even unto Rehoboam. So Jeroboam's getting a little nervous and he's getting a little worried about it. He says, you know, if these people don't like me, they might jump ship and they might go over to the south and go and, and follow Rehoboam. Rehoboam was the king of the south. And so Jeroboam's getting a little worried about that. He's figuring out, what can I do? And he says, uh, verse, middle of verse number 27, he says, even unto Rehoboam, Rehoboam, king of Judah, and they shall kill me and go again to Rehoboam, king of Judah. Verse number 28, whereupon the king took counsel, albeit it was bad counsel, and made two calves of gold and said unto them, it is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Behold thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And he set the one in Bethel, and the other put he in Dan. So what he basically did was he, he was trying to make religion more convenient for the people of Israel. He said, it's too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. I'm just going to make a couple temples here in Bethel and in Dan. And just a side note, boy, let's be careful about making Christianity, making religion easy and convenient. And I think so many times in, in our Christian life, we want to take the easy route. And, but we need to be soldiers for the Lord. Verse number 30, and it says, And this thing became a sin, for the people went to worship before the one, even unto Dan. And he made a house of high places, and made priests of the lowest of the people, which were not of the sons of Levi. So Jeroboam's getting worried. He makes these temples. And then what, what does he do? He goes out and he makes priests of the lowest people. Basically what he does is he says, I'm going to put in position people of, of, of the priestly order that maybe really shouldn't be there. They had no business becoming a priest. Maybe they didn't hold to holiness like they should. And so that's what Jeroboam did. So Israel began this downward spiral, and it all began right there. The people that Jeroboam, the, the people thought Jeroboam was doing it for their good. All he was doing it was for his good. Then chapter 15 comes along, and after King Solomon, you had Jeroboam, then you had Nadab, and Nadab was a bad king, and the Bible says he did evil. And I want to say, as the father goes, so goes the son. Fathers, let's be careful about the example that we set. Like father, like son, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. The third king is Basha, and he was only there because he killed the king. That's not a good thing when he's, on, he's only there because he killed the king. The fourth king is Elah. He's the son of Basha, and it's said of him that he was a drunk. How would you like that to be said about you through time, that he was a king, but he was a drunk? That's what's said about him. Then we come to the fifth king, Zimri, and he's a murderer once again. First Kings chapter 16 and verse number 10, it says, first Kings 16, 10, it says, and Zimri went in and smote him and killed him in the 20 and seventh year of Asa, king of Judah, and reigned in his stead. Excuse me for drinking water. And so we have the fifth king is Zimri. Then the sixth king is Omri. First Kings 16 and verse number 25, it says here about Omri. Verse number 25, but Omri wrought evil in the eyes of the Lord and did worse than all that were before him. So he was worse than the murderers. He was worse than the drunkards. He was worse than a man of treason. This is the leader of God's chosen people, the leader of Israel. Then we come to the seventh king. We come to the worst of the worst. When you thought it couldn't get any worse, when you thought a government couldn't stoop any lower, 
Here comes the seventh king. The seventh king's name is Ahab. Look at 1 Kings 16 and verse number 28. It says, And in the thirty and eighth year of Asa, king of Judah, began Ahab, the son of Omri, to reign over Israel. And Ahab, the son of Omri, reigned over Israel in Samaria twenty and two years. And Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord above all that were before him. That's the testimony of Ahab. Look at verse 31. And it came to pass as if it had been a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, that he took to wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Zidonians, and went and served Baal and worshipped him. And he reared up an altar for Baal in the house of Baal, which he had built in Samaria. Verse 33. And Ahab made a grove, and Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God, uh, the Lord God to Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel uh, that were before him. So we see the testimony of Ahab. You know, back before the kings ever came along, there were judges. And in the book of Judges, that says that every man did that which was right in his own eyes. And we know the story of Israel during the judges. They would do right, do right. They would sin. They would fall. They would fall. And then they'd repent and come back to God. And that was the cycle of Israel all throughout the book of Judges. So God said, okay, I'm going to give you kings. And now these kings reign. And many of them were wicked kings. But you know, one of the things that God did not want for the kings and for the children of Israel, for his his people, he didn't want them to marry uh, spouses from other countries. Why? Because what they would begin to do is they would begin to adopt their culture. But worse than that, not only would they adopt their culture, they would adopt their gods. And then what they would do is they would begin to worship those false gods. And this is exactly what happened. King Ahab went and he married Jezebel. Jezebel was a lady who followed after Baal. Her family followed after Baal. And we are told here that Ahab marries a pagan wife. He was unequally yoked. He married someone who didn't serve Jehovah, the one and true God. Man, I want to make a side note. Young people, be so very careful about who you date. Be so very careful about who you marry. Well, you say, well, Brother Mark, or you come to preach, you say, well, preacher, my boyfriend loves God. He or she or, or my girlfriend doesn't, doesn't uh, loves God, but really doesn't see the importance of church. Boy, I'd be careful about that. Because one day you may be just attending church just what, with just your children and just you and your spouse at home. That is if you still hold to the conviction of hold, if coming to church. Be careful that someone doesn't drag you away like Jezebel did to Ahab. So we see Ahab, the king of Israel, who should be serving the one true God, is serving Baal, a false god. 1 Kings chapter 16 and verse 33, we just read it. It says, and Ahab made a grove and did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel that were before him. And so this is the point where Israel's at. They've fallen, they've gone way down, they've spiraled out of control. It's been 58 years since Solomon was king, since there was a good ruler in the land. 58 years, Israel has digressed so much that they weren't even recognizable. I wonder if this could be said about the church today, that we have digressed so much that we can't, no one can tell us apart. The world can't tell us apart. We're just like them. 
I wonder if we look around at churches today, not this one, but maybe we see the focus of other churches, and I wonder if we, we would ask ourselves, is this really what the Lord Jesus died for? I mean, they're into the programs, and they're into the entertainment, and they're into just making people feel good. Is that really what God died for as far as the church goes? I think about the digression of even our own country over the past 60 years. We've thrown out the Bible. We've thrown out prayer out of the schools. Morals have gone by the wayside. What they teach us now is if it feels good, just do it. There's drugs in abundance. There's alcohol. There's immorality. There's abortion. There's filth on TV, there's, a, there's access to filth on your computer and on your TV and on your, your phone. I wonder if the governments of this world is a stink in the nostrils of a holy God. Where did it all go wrong? Did it all go wrong in the U.S. Senate? Did it all go wrong in the House? Did it all go wrong in the judiciary branch? Did it all go wrong in the White House? The answer simply is no. It all went wrong for Israel in the church house. I'm sorry, but you are fighting the wrong battle if you think it's all about politics and if you think it's all about the government. The answer is in the church house. It began in the church. It began in the pulpit, not in this, this one here, but back then, what did Jeroboam do? He took people of the lowest sort. That's not meaning a lowly person, but that meant somebody who was not spiritual, somebody who didn't belong in the pulpit, somebody who wasn't uh, espousing to holiness. Jeroboam said, ah, it's just, the, it's just the pulpit. It's just the priestly order. I'm just going to stick anybody in there. No, there has to be a degree of holiness. We can trace some of the digression of Israel back to Jeroboam. He was flippant about who, set, who he set up to serve as a priest. He put in people that weren't holy. And so we see men of God, these priests were not fashioning themselves according to following God. I think about how we have TV preachers nowadays. You say, Brother Mark, you're going to go there? I'm going to go there. We, we, we hear about preachers, and they, and they get on TV, and they say, oh, send your $100 in, and I'll pray over this cloth, and I'll send it to you. That's nothing but a hireling. We have preachers who preach on the health and wealth gospel, and they preach everything's good. They don't mention sin. They don't mention a hell being hot. They don't mention the holiness of God. They're tickling people's ears. They're just trying to make the people feel good. After 58 years, there was no rain for Israel. Why? Because Elijah, he had stepped on the scene. He went before Ahab, and he said, Ahab, because of your waywardness, because of your sin, there's going to be no rain. You're going to experience famine. You're going to experience a drought. All because of that wickedness. You know, rain in the Bible represents revival. We want rain in our church. I want rain in my life. I want rain in my family, but it's got to start in the church house. It's got to start in our hearts. All of Israel was being swept away with these false gods. They were being swept away in the judgment of God. But chapter 17 comes on the scene, and here comes the man of God. Praise the Lord for a man of God. Elijah, the name Elijah itself means my God, Jehovah, is he. How would you like to have a name like that? that your name just declares, hey, here's whose side I'm on. It's all about Jehovah God. He is the one true God. Baal worship was everywhere. You know, it's an interesting thing. God decided to stop the rain 
but yet Baal himself was a God of fertility. He was a God of rain. He was a God of weather. He was a God of wind. And yet God says, okay, I'll show you who you are, Baal. I'm just going to stop the rain. I'm going to stop the clouds for three years, and you're going to experience drought. So this is the context of this meeting. Number two, we come to the challenge at this meeting. Here he is, Elijah is the man of God, and he steps on the scene. Verse number uh, 17 in chapter 18, he says, And it came to pass when Ahab saw Elijah, and Ahab said unto him, Art thou he that troubleth Israel? You know, it's an amazing thing when a man or woman of God takes a stand that they're looked at as a rebel rouser. They're looked at as a troublemaker just because they go against the flow of the culture. They go against the mainstream and they decide to take a stand based on the word of God. You mark it down. You will be accused in your life. If you try to stand for this book, try to stand for holiness, you will be marked as a rebel rouser. You will be marked as a troublemaker. And here's what Ahab says. He says in verse number 18, uh, Elijah says back to Ahab, he says, and he answered, he said, I haven't troubled Israel, but thou and thy father's house, in that ye have forsaken the commandments of the Lord, and thou hast followed Balaam. Elijah said, hey, don't look at me as the troublemaker. You're the troublemaker. You're the one that's making all these people follow false gods. You're doing it. It's all your fault. You have forsaken the Lord. I want to say this morning that the trouble is not with those who obey and follow God, but it's with those who forsake God. The problem is not the church house as far as God's people in it. The problem is a lot of people want to forsake the Bible, want to forsake Christ, want to forsake God. That's where the trouble lies. God give us boldness. Why do we Christians feel like we have to cower at times and we have to just you know, be quiet on the job, job and, and not say a word and not witness and do all that? I'm not saying getting into legal trouble, but let's, hey, let's not be a coward. Let's stand for Christ. When the time comes, hey, if they can come in Monday morning and cussing and telling dirty jokes and talking about all the adultery they had over the weekend and they did this and do that, why can't we come into our workplace and say, hey, God, uh, thank you for a good service. And you tell your coworker, boy, we had a good service. Our preacher preached and he got up and he ripped and he snored and he, boy, we had a good time and I felt closer to God and I walked out wanting to do more for the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. God give us boldness to serve the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. The problem is not with the evangelicals. It's with those that go against God's principles. He, so he, Elijah comes to him, he says, hey, you're the troublemaker. You're the one that's caused all the trouble. And so for the longest time, as I think about this meeting, you know, I grew up in church and I heard this story told, and I always thought that Elijah was just before 450 prophets. And that's a fa fabulous thing. I mean, to think that Elijah stood up before 450 prophets and he challenged the people and, and God wrought a great victory. But you know what? I, as I read this scripture this week, it says that not only was the 450 prophets there, but then there was also the 400 prophets of the grove. So now you have a crowd of 850 people. So it's bigger than I thought. But then as I kept reading, it says that the children, all the children of Israel were there. So we don't know how many in, were, were, were in the, the nation of Israel at that time. It could have been a couple hundred thousand. It could have been 500,000, a million. I don't know. But whatever it was, it had to be a large crowd. 
So can you imagine? Here comes Elijah. He's the man of God. He comes up. He stands before the 850 prophets plus the several thousand people there. And he says, hey, how long halt ye between two opinions? Elijah brings the people to a choice. He brings them to a crossroads. He brings them to a decision. He says, enough is enough. Something must be done. You know, imagine such boldness that he had. Elijah confront, Elijah's confrontation was not only with the false prophets, but it was mainly with God's people. And I praise the Lord for a preacher that will sometimes confront us and say, hey, deal with your sin. Hey, we need, to be, we need to be reckoned with. We need to be confronted. The main confrontation was with the people of God. It wasn't in a march. It wasn't in a petition. It wasn't in a letter. It wasn't in an email. It wasn't in a text. But it was face to face with God's people. And he says, how long halt ye between two opinions? He says, how long are you going to be halted? How long are you going to, 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 to straddle the fence, if I may say it that way? How long are you going to be crippled? The word halt means to be crippled. And because they were crippled, they were stuck. They, they weren't to the left or they weren't to the right. They were stuck right there. The word halt also can mean to be in doubt, to waver between two alternatives. Let me ask you, Woodland Baptist Church, are you halted between two opinions? You say, well, I'm here this morning. 58 years, God's people had been on the decline. I wonder if the people thought this towards Elijah when he asked that question. I wonder if they thought, well, I haven't forsaken God. We worship him. I might not be as serious as you, but we haven't forsaken God. And as I was studying this week, this is a, a, what an alarming verse this was. You know, you think about verses in the Bible where they, it mentions Ichabod, Ichabod and the glory being departed. And you think about verses where it says, depart from me, ye workers of iniquity. Look at these two verses about people fearing the Lord. It says, so they feared the Lord and made unto them, themselves of the lowest of them, priests of the high places, which sacrificed for them in the house of Houses of the high places. So we see the people were fearing the Lord, and yet they made themselves of the lowest of them priests. Look at the next verse, verse number 33. It says, they feared the Lord. That's a good thing. We're to fear the Lord. The Bible says the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. But it says they feared the Lord. The very next phrase, and served their own gods. Is it possible that we could fear God and yet serve other gods? According to the word of God, that is possible. We can be in church. We can fear God. We can reverence God and still serve other gods. Boy, let, it, let, not, let not that be said of us. You say, well, I haven't forsaken God. Let me ask you, you. All of a sudden, you quit tithing. All of a sudden, you quit caring for the lost. All of a sudden, you used to be at every service. Now it's just, well, if I can make it, fine. If not, fine. You used to serve God. Or maybe you just watch online. You could be here, but you're just at home watching. You haven't forsaken God, but you're heading down that path. Boy, we can fear God and yet serve other gods. I'm afraid too many churches, too many church members, we're just halted. We're just in the middle. We're not, not cold, but we're not hot. We're not all in. We're not lock, stock, and barrel. I, 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 I want to go all out. But you know what? So many of us, and I said us, we don't want to go all out. 
We don't want to be called a fanatic by the world. We don't want to be called a fanatic by our family. We don't want to get around a Thanksgiving meal and our family look at us and go, oh, there's that religious fanatic. We don't want to be. We're too concerned about that. But yet there's the King of kings and Lord of lords who died for us and to give us eternal life. Boy, that's the least we can do is just go all out for the King of kings and Lord of lords. I think about football fans. I think about people that, uh, God help you, but maybe you're a Green Bay Packer fan. And maybe you, you, you watch on TV and you see there might be a line of 20 men all lined up and they're out there in the middle of January. And, uh, well, maybe not. Maybe they didn't make the playoffs. Maybe it's the middle of December or whatever. But anyway, they're out there. It's 15 degrees. And what do they have? No shirt on. And plaster all over their shirt is Green Bay Packers or Go Team or whatever. They're fanatics. But God forbid that we carry tracks with us. God forbid that we be faithful to services three times a week. I'm afraid churches in 2021 have no power because we are sitting on the fence. And Elijah says, enough is enough. How long halt ye between two opinions? Are you going to continue to sit on the fence? Am I going to continue to sit on the fence? I wonder if today the church has lost its power because there's no boldness. There's no power. There's no authority as in the book of Acts. We have one foot in the world and one foot in the church. There's the illustration of somebody walking in the gutter. You have one foot in the gutter and one foot on the sidewalk. Boy, you can't walk. I wonder how many of us are just walking one foot in the gutter, one foot in the church, one foot for the world, one foot for God. Boy, let's just decide, hey, how long halt ye between two opinions? The Bible says in James 1, verse number 8, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Boy, we can't be unstable. We can't be double-minded. How long will you live like this? You're totally defeated. One day it's God. The next day it's Baal. One day it's God. The next day it's Baal. One day it's God. The next day it's Baal. For heaven's sake, let's make up our mind today that, hey, I'm not going to be halted. I'm not going to straddle the fence. I'm going to be all in. I'm going to serve the King of kings and Lord of lords. Your life, maybe it's one big roller coaster. You're up. You're down. You're up. You're down. And I'm not saying we're not going to sin, but the prevailing attitude in our life should be, hey, I'm up. I'm serving the King of Kings. I might fall, but I'm going to get right back up. How long will you halt between two opinions? You know, maybe you're in church today and you're praising God, but tomorrow you're sending text messages with swear words all in it. Tomorrow you're chewing somebody out on the job and using every four-letter word there is. Maybe you're watching preaching online today and tomorrow you turn on the internet and you watch filth. We're halted. We're in between. We're crippled. We're, we're halted between two, two opinions, two alternatives. How long will you live like this? You're neither hot. You're neither cold. One day you're following God. The next day you're following Baal. One day you're following God. The next day you're passionately following after money. I wonder if God looks down and says, boy, that's a disgrace. We're back and forth. Back and forth. You can't, you won't, you can't leave God because you're, you know in your heart that God is real. But you won't go all out. You won't leave the world because you are afraid of what someone else might say. God help us. God help us. Let's not be concerned with what others may think. The, the song says, the world behind me, the cross before me. Hey, let's not worry about what the unsaved think. 
Let's be right. Let's have a sweet spirit about us. But let's determine, come what may, I will stand for God. I'm not going to be halted. Elijah says, enough is enough. Elijah brings them to a decision. Joshua did the same thing. He says, choose you this day whom ye will serve. Moses did it. Moses comes off the mountain, and he sees the people given over to idolatry, and he says, what's going on? And he gets the people, and he, he, he burns up those idols, and he said, hey, choose today. Who are you going to serve? Don't be halted. No one can make that decision but you today. Your mother can't. Your dad can't. Your brother or sister can't. Your grandparents can't. Your pastor can't. Your, the deacons in the church can't. The Sunday school teacher can't. Your child can't. Choose you this day, not tomorrow, not next Sunday, but today. Who are you going to serve? How long halt ye between two opinions? Cross over and decide. You'll never look back. To delay is to choose the world. If you walk out of here and you delay, you're choosing the world. The greatest decision today is to choose who you will serve. Elijah says, if the Lord be God, follow him. If the Lord be God, follow him. And I want to say there's no if about it. The Lord is God. Let's follow him. All other choices will fall into place if you decide to follow him. I heard the saying one time, make Jesus the center of your life and their circumference will take care of itself. If you put Jesus at the center, every decision that you make, who you date, where you work, what you say, what you think, what you do, if you make Jesus the center, all of it will fall into place. All other choices will fall into place if you decide to follow him. Choose Christ today. I'm not talking about the modern version of Jesus where they want to teach you, oh, Jesus is all about love, and he's about compassion, and he's about acceptance, and there's so much liberty, and there is. But let's choose the Christ that says, hey, he demands our life to be holy. He demands our life to be honest. He de demands our life to be upright. He demands our life to be sold out to him all the way, not 50%, but 100%. If we are going to follow Christ, we must be decided in our practice as much as we are in our profession. You know, I've got a feeling that if I were to go up and down the aisles this morning and ask if you're saved, most of you would give a clear testimony and say, I know that I know that I'm saved. Why can't our practice be just as sure as that? Why can't we send clear signals to everyone that, hey, I know whose side I'm on. You may not serve the king of kings, but I am on the Lord's side. I am not halted. We must be decided in our practice as much as we are in our profession. You know what this world needs is an evidence of a changed life. The world doesn't need another person to just go along with the mainstream. The world doesn't need another person just to, to, just to, to go along to get along. The world needs an evidence of a changed life. Leonard Ravenhill, he's a, he was an author years and years ago. He says, what the world needs is not a new definition of Christianity, but a new demonstration of it. God, God doesn't want us to rewrite this thing of how to serve God and how to love God or how to have church. That doesn't need to be rewritten. God just wants us to, 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 to just exemplify a new, def, a new uh, demonstration of the Christian life. 
Your coworkers, they don't need a new, newfangled way to serve God. They just need a demonstration of a true Christian. God help us to do that. Our practice should be as clear as our profession. So we see the context of this meeting. We see the challenge at this meeting. And then in closing, we see the conclusion to this meeting. Look at 1 Kings 18 and verse 21. It says, And Elijah came unto all the people and said, How long? Halt ye between two opinions. If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And then look what it says. And the people answered him not a word. I wonder if today in Woodland Baptist Church, we're going to dismiss in just a few minutes, I wonder if some of you will leave today and say, that's not for me. Boy, I know I should sell out, but that's not for me. You might say quietly in your heart, that's not for me. I'm not going to go all out. I'm not going to uh, not be halted between two opinions. You know, we're, we won't totally forsake God, like I said earlier, because we know he's real. But we won't go all out because we're afraid what others might say or think. I want to say to the people of the great Woodland Baptist Church, how long halt ye? How long will you straddle the fence? You say, well, I'm not serving Baal today. But you know what? Baal has been replaced with gods that mirror the same practice. Historians tell us that the, these services that were held to Baal, they tell us several things. They tell us that they would engage in open immorality. They tell us that they would play wild and reckless music. They tell us that they would sacrifice their own children to this god of Baal in hopes that they would appease that god. You say, well, I don't serve Baal today, but you know what? We find a lot of Christians that will watch immorality on the TV. Why, we find a lot of Christians that will engage in music that doesn't honor God. We find a lot of Christians that hold the idea that killing innocent children is okay. Oh, we're not serving Baal, but we're serving other gods. We're not worshiping Baal, but we have idols. Baal today has become technology. Baal today has become social media. Bail today has become pleasure. When's the next activity? When's the next outing? And we're not serving God. Bail today has become recreation. Bail today has become materialism. Boy, I just want to get that new whatever. You fill in the blank. Bail today has become religion. Bail today has become the status quo. Bail today has become politics. You know, we might watch 15 hours of CNN or 15 hours of Fox News. And yet, boy, sadly, we don't spend one hour in the week reading our Bibles. I love this country, but we better know the Bible better than we know the Constitution. You know, the devil doesn't get nervous at the Constitution. He gets around that. That doesn't bother him. You can know the First Amendment, the Second Amendment, the 19th Amendment, the 25th Amendment. You can know all those. God does, uh, the devil doesn't get worried about that at all. But you know what? He gets real nervous around the Word of God. He gets real nervous when you're at home and you wake up in the morning or at night before you pillow your head and you pull out the Bible and you say, God, speak to me. I want to be spoken to. He gets real nervous about that. We need to know the Constitution. I mean, we need to know the Bible better than the Constitution. Our kids know every worldly song that comes out. We know all the latest shows that Hollywood is producing. In Baal worship, they sat around and watched people do immoral things. Let me ask you, what did you watch this week? What did you soak your eyes with? And I want to say, regardless of how many do it, regardless of how many watch it, regardless of how many have it, regardless of how many wear it, regardless of how many like it, 
I don't want to halt between two opinions. I don't want to be halted. I don't want to be crippled. I don't want to be stuck. I don't want to be straddling the fence. I don't want to be uh, stuck in between two alternatives. I want to be all in. Elijah said, enough is enough. Make up your mind. If the Lord be God, follow him. You know, too many times we can look at preaching as just an event. We can look at preaching as, well, we're in the grandstands and we're watching the event happen. But boy, let's, let's go out of here saying, boy, that preaching, that was for me. That was for my life. That was for my heart. When we come back tonight and, and we hear our preacher preach, let's apply it to our hearts. Let's walk an old-fashioned aisle. We've got these steps built. Let's use them. Let's use the altar. Let's bow. You say, and preacher harps on this sometimes and says, hey, if you're in church, you've been in church for 30 years, and you come to the altar twice, something's wrong. Boy, we need to humble ourselves. And I'm not saying you have to come every service, but if God never speaks to you, I'd get worried. I'd check up. Are you really saved? How, how do we decide to follow God? You say, well, Brother Mark, I don't want to be halted. I don't want to be stuck between two alternatives. How do I go all in? I'd say get busy. Get busy. And that's not an indictment to say you all are lazy. But let's get even more busy. Where, where can we serve? The preacher shouldn't have to get up every Sunday night and beg for bus drivers, bug, beg for bus captains, beg for workers, beg for choir members. Let's get in this thing. Let's get busy. We are saved to serve. We're not saved just to sit. We're not saved just to, to silk and to sour, but we're saved to serve. Let's not just sit on a pew. We should have scores of people saying, sign me up. Where can I serve? Where can I give my life to serve the King of Kings and Lord of Lords? But you know what? Instead, we're halted. You know, I talk to people sometimes throughout the week, and they say, boy, I really should get in this ministry. And they keep coming, and they keep coming, and they never join. Boy, help us to get in. We should have scores of people saying, hey, sign me up. Sign me up. I can serve the King of Kings. I can be a greeter. I can be an usher. I can work in the nursery. I can do whatever. How long? Will you be halted between two opinions? Maybe you're here today, you say, Brother Mark, I don't know all about this serving God stuff, and I don't know all about this, but, but and you're, not, you're not here because you're an atheist. You believe God is real, but maybe you're halted. You're halted. Is God real where he can save me, where he can give me eternal life? The Bible says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's a promise. If you'll just come to him just like you are, he's willing to accept you just like you are. Would you do it today? Maybe you're here today. Maybe you're a visitor. Maybe you've been here several times, but you've never accepted the, the, the God of the Bible into your heart. You never asked Christ to save you. Why not make that decision? Don't be halted. Don't be straddling the fence. Just say, Lord, I come to you. I'm a sinner. I know because of my sin I deserve to go to hell, but you died on the cross to give me eternal life, and now I want to accept you. If you're here today and you don't know for sure that you're, you're born again, know for sure that if you were to die that you'd go to heaven, make that decision. Let's have every head bowed and every eye closed. Let's all stand to our feet if you would.